Before the start of today's episode, I just want to add in a wee shout out to the incredible Sarah Williams. Thank you so much for being such an inspiration to me from everything from the start of the trip all the way now through to growing the podcast. Sarah has been an endless support for me, helping me to give me information on how to set up, where to go, what to do, and continues to help and support the podcast to grow. And I am endlessly grateful. She has been so supportive of me and of other women who are setting up as podcasters and has gone out of her way to help help the podcast to grow and be what it is now. And I just wanted to put a thank you out there and let everybody know how supportive she's been. Sarah, thank you so much for taking up your space and in that creating space for so many others to dream big and share their stories. Hello and welcome to season two of the Extraordinary Ordinary Women podcast. My name's Frankie and this is the podcast where I cycle around the UK interviewing folk about their adventurous lives. This season was recorded back in September 2020 as I cycle towards Liverpool and onwards north on my way to Scotland. This is episode two of season two, where I speak to the incredible Sarah Williams. Right, I turn up at Sarah's house, soaking wet. I'd cycled through the worst storm ever and I am head to toe dripping. And I will never forget turning up at Sarah's house. Well, you know, knocking on the door, being like, hello, is Sarah home? Pushing my bike round the back. Sarah opening up the conservatory door and then being like, mum, I think we need a towel. So for people that don't know who you are, Mm -hmm. could you give me a bit of a snapshot of who you are and what you do. Yes, so uh, my name is Sarah Williams. I am the host of the Tough Girl podcast and the founder of Tough Girl Challenges, which is all about motivating and inspiring women and girls to get fit and active, to travel and explore, to go on big adventures and just to live their best lives possible. But I also, so I host the podcast, but I also do my own sort of personal challenges as well. So I go and um, I've gone and hiked the Appalachian Trail. I've gone and cycled the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, I've hiked the Camino Portuguese. I've hiked over in Turkey. I've hiked over in Tasmania. Um, And I also vlog and share those challenges to show people sort of, you know, everything from, you know, from having the idea to how it progressed and then what it was like during the journey and then sort of um, a little bit afterwards. Amazing. I don't know where to start. Um, which one of those adventures that you mentioned did you do first? The first big adventure that I properly did almost to launch Tough Girl Challenges was the Marathon de Saab. So running six marathons in six days across the Sahara Desert, carrying everything you need on your backpack. Uh, it's quite a famous race. So it actually stands for Marathon of the Sands. It's, so it's French, which translates to Marathon of the Sands. And it's been around for like 32, 33 years. And um, yeah, it's a multi-stage ultra-endurance race in the Sahara Desert. So I thought that was a pretty big physical challenge that scared me and excited me at the same time. So I did that challenge in in April 2016, so almost four years ago. Yeah, How was it? It was amazing. I almost... Um, I liken it to, I think it was almost like drawing a line in the sand. So there was, t- there was two sort of big challenges of doing it. One was actually actually getting to the start line because I had quite a few um, challenges in terms of like my health and my fitness. I was meant to do it in 2015, sorry, 20, yeah, 2015, but I ended up overtraining and ended up having like chronic fatigue and I was bed bound and you know, various health issues, like my hair was starting to fall out. I had like acne, I was always cold I just couldn't uh, you know put on any weight and all these various things happening and um, so for me to even get to that stage where I was fit enough and healthy enough and strong enough to get to the start line was like 
I've made it. And then the second almost drawing a line in the sand was after the race when it was almost like, it's the start of my new life now, as in I'm no longer a banker anymore. I'm now moving into this world of adventure. And, you know, I can not only talk the talk, but I can actually walk the walk or run the run as such. And, you know, I can go out there and do these big physical challenges. Wow. Yeah. Chronic fatigue is like a pretty big thing. Oh. How did you oh, overcome it, was, it? it? Do you know, well, to be honest, I wasn't really getting anywhere with the doctors. And I was having all these tests done. So I was having blood tests and tubes and down my throat and other places. And nothing, nothing was happening. And I was almost getting worse and worse. Like my left eye even started to like deteriorate. And I come downstairs, you know, to have food with my parents. And I sit at the table with my sunglasses on, with the lights off, because it was almost like too, you know, the lights were too bright. Um, but how, actually, how it got better is um, a friend knew a homeopath. And so I started to see her. And that was the turning point for me. I actually, I wrote a book, uh, I wrote an ebook about my marathon de Saves and actually dedicated the book to this lady, Jeanette, um, who was just incredible. And I think one of the things that she did was she took me like holistically as a person. So what I was doing was like, oh, my, my muscles are aching, you know, maybe because I've worked out, okay, so that means I'm, I need more magnesium or I need to wear compression gear. I'm not, I can't wake up in the morning. I'm too physically tired. Oh, it's dark outside. I know, I'll get one of those... Um, you know, those, uh, the, those lights to help you wake up in the morning. Um, what was the other things that were happening? Um, oh, what was like, oh, no, it wasn't my, oh, my skin, like something's gone wrong with my skin. I'm not drinking enough water. I need to drink more water. I'm maybe just not cleaning my face properly. So I was almost not really understanding the cause and the symptoms. And she just, I don't know, just took me holistically. And, you know, one of the first things we did was actually stop training because I was still doing ridiculous, you know, runs and walks and weight training and yoga and swimming like forcing myself to do this because I was still thinking I'm going to be doing this this big challenge in a couple of months um so that was um that was a journey in itself to be honest to to get back to the place where I felt uh, like comfortable again and then it also I mean it changed things for me as well with regarding like health like health just went to to number one straight away it's like number one priority is, is my health and looking after myself so that was a, a massive learning curve but um yeah I mean I I actually can't it's amazing to when I look back where I was like how weak and fragile and just broken like I, I really was just like broken to then sort of get past that get through that and to get like you know strong fit and healthy again yeah and what was different in your training for the the second the time round? Yeah. Round. Well, I actually started working with a personal trainer because one of the things that I struggled with was knowing when enough was enough. So I I think I'd always heard, you know, the more miles, the better. The you know, no pain, no gain, like that type of training. And um, I basically realised that I don't not that I don't have an off switch, but I will just go full flog into anything and just be like very 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 extreme I used to be very unbalanced you know when you focus on one thing and that's all you focus on that's all you do whereas now I think I'm a lot more balanced so I started working with personal trainer and well one thing that that did is it just took the responsibility away from me so somebody could just say how are you feeling how are you sleeping what are you eating how you know um yes do this don't do this you know and checking in so then I followed a really set program and that actually worked incredibly well for me so that was you know the main thing um for the training yeah awesome I definitely think that's worth saying because I think a lot of people want to try and do it for themselves by themselves and actually as you say passing that responsibility on yeah I think it, it just depends on how much um I think time and energy you've got to apply to it I mean randomly I am actually a qualified personal trainer so I do know like a lot of this stuff but I just find it so much easier just to abdicate and just say, look, I just want somebody else to worry about that side of my life. I just don't have the uh, the time or the capacity to take that on. And I just find it incredibly liberating. So, you know, I go to the gym now. I'm, I'm working with um, uh, my personal trainer, Franco. This is what we're doing. Boom, boom, boom. I hit it really, really hard. And I don't have to think about it. So... And then what came next after Marathon to Start? After you drew that line? Yeah, after I drew that line, the sat. Well, it was another really key learning point is um, I, I crossed the finish line at MDS and I got the medal around my neck and I felt maybe 10, 15, 20 seconds of pure joy and I felt, you know, amazing. I accomplished this big goal, something I've been working towards for 18 months and then it was over. And I was just like, 
huh. And that was a real key moment because I thought, well, I can't, I cannot continue to live my life having these like one-off peaks, like there's just like these tiny moments of joy and happiness. I want that joy and happiness all the all the time. And so it can't just be about the end result. And so I wanted more of the journey. And so Marathon de Salles was over in like, you know, six or seven days. So the next challenge that I wanted, I wanted something which would be longer and sort of more physical and more challenging. And I'd heard about the Appalachian Trail over in, Amer- in America. It's one of these big trails, which is like 2,200 miles. It runs from Springer Mountain, Georgia, all the way up through 14 states to Mount Katahdin in Maine. And um, the more I thought about it, the more the sea got planted. It was like, oh, you know, you're walking through the Appalachian Trail mountains. It's the equivalent of walking up and down Mount Everest like 16 and a half times. And I knew most people take five and a half, six months to do it. And I, I knew myself that that would not challenge me. It would be, I could do it and it would be more like, um, be more like a nice holiday. And I just remember thinking, hmm, how can I make this harder? And doing what I do, like, you know, hosting the podcast, being like self-employed, working for myself, I also realized, huh, actually you can't take five and a half, six months off. Like there's no way that you can manage that. And so I figured out that I could make it about three months and so that suddenly came to about 100 days. And then I was like, mm, well, I want to go back to university in my master's. And that starts in October. So I need to be back in the UK a little bit before then. And my birthday September, September the 10th. So I was like, okay, well, that's the finish date to aim towards. And then that, if I started in June, that gives me enough time, like January, February, March, April, May, June, you know, five, six months to plan and prepare and preload podcast content while I'm away. And everything just started to come together. I mean, I think I was actually massively very, very naive when I think looking back at the challenge now, because I needed to average about 22 miles per day every day for 100 days. And it's one of those weird things that when you look on a map, you think, oh, yeah, well, I can reach there. I'll do 24 miles that day, 22, maybe 26, you know, just pulling the numbers out. But then when you're actually physically out there in the wilderness, in the woods, carrying everything on your back, it's... um, it was a very physical challenge, but just not not only like physically, but uh, mentally, and then towards the end as well, just emotionally, because I was so run down, like I'd lost like all of my muscle mass, I'd lost so much, I'd probably dropped about two stone in weight, so I was very, very, I was skin and bones, and um, because I was so physically exhausted, it meant emotionally I had, I really struggled to control my emotions, so I have actually vlogged all of this, so you can actually watch these videos, and the final videos, you know, I just can't stop myself crying. Like, like I wasn't, it wasn't tears of like, I'm upset. It was just tears of exhaustion. I'm just so, so tired. But you know, and you've got like three or four days to go to get to the finish line. Um, so yeah, so that was the next big, big physical undertaking, which was, you know, incredible. Like spending that much time in nature by myself. It was a real, um, a really useful time to reflect to, so my plan was basically when I wake up in the morning, I would not have play any music, play any podcasts until sort of the afternoon. So the morning was just purely for reflection. And, and it gave me, I mean, I think sometimes we don't get this a lot, but time to really think, to think about my life and my decisions and, you know, where I'd started and, you know, what journey I'd been on and how much did I want to do that? Was I not pressured, but did I just follow the crowd? Did I follow society? And, you know, where am I? But even more so, it was reflecting to the future. Well, what type of life do I want to live? Like, what sort of things do I want to be doing? And just having all of this free time to walk in the trees and nature and just be out in the fresh air was just massively liberating. And I, I'm a, go as far as to say, you know, life changing. It was, you know, a life changing experience. Yeah. And so then with that time to think, did you then sort of make any changes in your life when you came back? Um, I think I just became even more passionate about what it is that I wanted to do and and probably just even more sure of myself because I think sometimes you have these ideas and 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 sometimes I wobble like sometimes I go back and visit not visit but you know I go to see my my old friends in London I sort of you know I go to the visit their house and they've got the kids and they're working these stressful jobs and I'm just like hmm this could have been my life and sometimes I get a little bit like huh um, do I miss this and then it's like it does take some time to think hold on do I miss this or do I not miss this so it just made me even more sure about my decisions and just and always helping me to change my definitions of success and starting to get comfortable with doing something which other people don't understand and don't necessarily 
relate to and they just never will but starting for me to get really comfortable in who I am and you know what I'm doing and just I suppose I've always been confident and I'd say I've, I've always believed in myself but just I think that just became even more solid and just even more resolute inside me look I am on the right path I am doing the right the right thing and so when I came back I actually started my um my master's in women and gender studies because I realized even in 2016 with the tough girl podcast so it taken me six months to reach 25,000 people and then you know in a year I'd reached you know 100,000 people listen to Mm -hmm. listen to the podcast and I started to think hold on I'm building a real platform here and I actually want to understand more about women and feminism and equality and what's going on in you know in the world to try and really sort of understand what it is I'm trying to promote with my message so you know I wanted to go back to, to university and I thought well now is the time so yeah started doing my master's up at Lancaster, you know, I could stay at home, travel up, you know, two or three times a week. But and it's yeah, did two terms and then it's write your dissertation. So twenty thousand words written on women adventure and fear and um yeah, it's just almost like another stepping stone leading me in the way. And I think one of the things that that gave me was almost like um I suppose a bit more status, maybe even more belief in myself and what I'm doing. It's like, well, actually, I'm getting the qualifications now to to back up everything that I that I believe in. Yeah. So I want to jump back and yeah, go to the yeah. professional side of yeah. the podcast. So you are now full time podcaster. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I like to think I do do like um I want I do want to be transparent with people about this. Like I do live at home with my parents. I still have a few odd jobs. Um, you know when you know when. <laughs> when COVID isn't happening, but I do like introduce to Camp America and I, you know, wash dishes at a local coffee shop. But I'd say 80% of my job is full time is is doing the podcasting. And then on the side of that, I do the these adventures and challenges for, for me, like very selfishly, I enjoy doing them and sharing them with people. But yeah, the, the podcast is the main driver of, of everything that I'm doing. When did you start doing it? How long ago was that? Then? So I started Tough Girl Podcast on the 4th of August 2015 with four episodes and um, it has been an incredible journey and new episodes come out every single week. So yeah, I started weekly and then about a year into it, I started doing something called Tough Girl Extra, which is when I go back and speak with our previous guests to catch up with them to see what they've been doing in the interim. And then I realized uh, maybe about like six months ago to, to a year ago that a lot of my podcasts I've been interviewing sort of very similar women. So white, middle class, you know, in their early 30s, no children. Uh, and the story, and the, there was a massive lack of diversity in there. And with by doing the Tough Girl Extra, I was going back and speaking to the same women again and promoting, you know, their stories again. So I wanted to make some further changes. So I, um, so the Tough Girl Extra episodes come out on a Thursday. So now what I do is I do the Tough Girl podcast twice a week. And what that allows me to do is to just allow me to speak with more women, increase the amount of diversity and who I'm speaking to, and also just to get more stories out there. So yeah, two episodes coming out a week. Last December, we hit 1 million episodes, sorry, 1 million downloads, which is incredible. So we're listened to in 174 countries around the world. Uh, the Tough Girl podcast has won two awards. It's won the um, the She Extreme Adventure Sports podcast, which you won in 2019. And then it won the Women's Sports Trust Beer Game Changer Award, which was um, won by public vote. So that, you know, that was that was really nice and you know, to get some rec- recognition for what you're doing. So, yeah, it's been exciting. You know, I get to connect with these incredible women, share their stories, encourage other women to go on adventures and do big physical challenges. So, yeah, it's uh, it's exciting. Yeah. Congratulations, that sounds awesome. When you were starting, did you know what you were doing? No. <laughs> Not a clue. How did you go for it when you didn't know? Well, it was well initially, when I started Tough Girl Challenges, I thought it was going to be a blog. And I was going to write about like my life and my adventures and my challenges. And people were just going to be enthralled and subscribed. It was just going to be epic. And then... Basically, no one was reading my blog. And I say, like, not even my mum, because she's not even that technical. And I just wasn't having the impact that I wanted or, you know, the movement. And a friend of mine said, well, why don't you do a podcast? And I was like, oh, I'm just not technical at all. I have no idea, like, what I'm doing. And I remember having this week, I was um, I was over in Australia. And I remember just, like, listening to podcasts. And I was literally like, 
oh my God, I get it. Like hearing the people's, their, their voices sharing their, their passion, their excitement and their fears and, you know, that telling their story in their words is so, so powerful. And I just thought this is an amazing um, medium. And also, you know, if you look at the other options, you've got the blogging, the podcasting and the video. Video and trying to grow on YouTube is just insanely difficult. Same with blogging. You know, there's like 750 million blogs out there. But podcasting hasn't gone mainstream yet. But I still actually really love the medium. Yeah, so no idea what I was doing. Um, I had a friend sort of help me out with the, you know, this is the media host and this is how it works and, you know, this is how you put it together. And I remember recording my first four episodes and I, I cringe when I look back to like how I edited them. Like every every breath, every um, everything was completely edited out. And I don't think I was that good at questioning as well. And, you know, oh, it's just cringeworthy. But one thing that I that I was very, very, very clear on and something that I knew would happen is if I started, I knew I would get better. I knew that I would make progress. It's like driving a car that you'll soon, you will soon learn what you need to learn. And to me, that was just, I was always just very clear on that, that just do the best that I could with what I knew at that time. And just the more I do it, the more that I will improve. And I think that, that, has what's happened you know as it's gone on I I do think the podcast has got you know hopefully better and better and um, I've improved my editing has improved so yeah so I had I didn't have any idea and I'm still learning now like (laughs) I still I had a massive shot of um, imposter syndrome so last December when I hit like a million downloads and I was suddenly like oh my god but I still don't really know what I'm doing you know I I work from my bedroom I have a laptop and a mobile phone like this is that's that my bed is my office like I I just don't feel as though I'm even that professional do you know what I mean it's just I'm just sort of figuring it out as I go along but I'm just sort of making it happen but now suddenly it's been five years and it's like oh my goodness it's been five years like that's insane so yeah that's awesome and I think it's so cool for people to know the like the the other side of it and that you are doing it from your bedroom and that you're not you know in some sort of like fancy recording (laughs) definitely not well I think that's the thing like people don't necessarily I think people uh don't understand like how hard it is to do the to do the podcast and the editing and the the promotion and and sharing the episodes and because when I started I didn't have any followers on social media like I didn't have a network I didn't have community I didn't have anything so I had to grow everything from scratch and that takes a lot of a lot of time and it's also really really hard you know to, to monetize it and to actually you know, to be able to, to make a living from doing what you love and so you know that's also taken time um, as well to happen but it is yeah it's it's a, it's an amazing medium I highly encourage everyone to start a podcast <laughs> um, I want to jump back into your adventures so after the Appalachian Trail then what did you do next? So what I did next is, so um, I did I did my master's and I knew that that was going to finish in August. But physically looking at my body, after I finished the Appalachian Trail, I was very, very underweight. I'd lost all my muscle mass and I wasn't physically, I was struggling to walk. Like my knees had gone, I can't remember the correct, the correct terminology, but my knees had started to turn inwards, both knees. I was like knee valvus or something or valgus my glutes weren't firing like I was struggling to sit down without you know using like to sit on the toilet I'd need to like prop myself down and push myself up again like using the supports around maybe like the bathtub or something so physically I wasn't in a great space to actually do another hike again and also my my love and interest just wasn't there I was like the last thing I wanted to do was put a backpack on and go hiking and so I knew that I was basically going to be free from the end of August the beginning of September 2018 I was free, like, you know, everything, just station handed in. And I started looking around and I started thinking more about cycling. And I was like, oh, well, I haven't cycled since I was 13. Like, you know, you get that nervous, excited feeling like, oh, when was the last time you rode a bike? And the perfect time of year to cycle the Pacific Coast Highway, so from Vancouver all the way down to San Diego, is starting in sort of September. And the idea just sort of grew. And then I was speaking with Faye Shepherd, who had just done a big cycle ride with Anna McNuff through South America. And I just interviewed her. And we were talking afterwards. And I was mentioning, you know, I wanted to do the Pacific Coast Highway. But really, that would only take about 50 days. So, you know, a month and a half. And actually, I wanted to go away somewhere for longer. 
And then she said, oh, have you heard of like Baja California? And I was like, no. So she told me about Baja and I was like, ooh, it's like off-road cycling through the desert. Like this sounds epic. And then if I combine the two, it would be about like about three months and it gets a bit complicated. But my brother lives in Australia. So I, I like spending time with um, him and his family. We've got two, my, my niece and nephew over there. And so for me, I was like, oh, brilliant. So I start in September. I can finish in Mexico in December. Then from I can basically fly from uh, Mexico to Melbourne. And then I can be in Melbourne for the next three months to spend time with family. So that just logically everything, all the pieces fit together. So that was my next big challenge. I didn't have a bike. Dad has got like an old rusty bike in the shed. So I, you know, did a, did a few cycle rides, but not really that far, not with any panniers on or anything. I'd cycle probably more in the gym. And flew out to Vancouver, found a secondhand bike shop and was like, hi, <laughs> I want to cycle down to the Coast Highway and I need a bike. And they were like, how much do you want to spend? And I was like, as cheap as possible. I've got like no money. Um, he was like, well, what about these bikes? And I was like, oh, how much are we talking? Like, you know, like, I know, 800 to a thousand dollars. And I was like, what about the bikes in that corner? Which like, you know, a little bit rusted, a little bit battered. Um, they're like, yeah, they're probably more like $250, $300. I was like, do you think that will get me down the Pacific Coast Highway? And so that's what that's what we did. Basically went in, tried a bike out. Yep, this fit. Put the back rack on, bought two panniers and um, loaded it up and started cycling down Pacific Coast Highway. But I think the a couple of interesting things with that is I actually documented the, that whole journey of like, well, how am I going to afford to pay for it? You know, what, what do I do about insurance? What do I do about visas and flights? And what's my route? And and so you can actually see all of this sort of happening. Like even, you know, my to-do list, like way back when I announced that this is what I'm going to do, throughout sort of June, July, August, I was sharing on my blog, right, These this is everything that I need to do because I need to preload co- podcast content as well before I head it off. So I need to preload three months worth of podcasts. I need to finish my dissertation. I need to do, you know, the other planning and logistics and everything else and book flights. And I shared like the, the full process. But yeah, Pacific Coast Highway was a beautiful and stunning and the Big Sur and the, you know, riding through California, riding into San Francisco and crossing over the Golden Gate Bridge you know, meeting up with, I uh, met up with a, you know, a couple of people, a lovely lady called Goalie, who's one of my sponsors, and another lady called Sarah, who's one of my patrons, who went and ran Marathon de Saab. So it was, it was a challenge, but also not, it was a different type of challenge, as in it wasn't going to break me, like physically, it wasn't going to break me. And it allowed me to do it. So my niece, my left, everyone, if you listen to my podcast, you'll know Sarah will be like, Sarah's left knee and Sarah's left glute don't really, haven't been switched on for quite a while. So that allowed me just to to go and do something physical, but not injure myself anymore. So, so yeah. When you were finishing off your dissertation and preloading all that podcast content and getting ready, did you have time to sleep? Uh, I actually found, I was very... I can be very efficient and very organized. So especially when, I think when I know all the dates in advance, because I knew the dates for my dissertation, you know, at the beginning of the year. And so I'd almost been working on that for nine months already. So I was just there, I was very efficient. But I do like my sleep. And also the great thing is like, I will have afternoon naps. Like I'm a big fan of the afternoon nap. You know, if I'm having a really stressful day, it gets to one o'clock and I'm tired, I will do a 40 minute sleep to recharge. So uh, yeah, I do, yeah. Sleep, eat, hydration, ticking all those boxes. <laughs> but it is quite, um, yeah, there probably was a lot going on. And I think, I don't think I realised that probably until the following year, like in 2019, you know, and you sort of look back and think, wow, I've been on the go non- non-stop really. I hadn't really had a break for a very, very long time. Plus I'd also still been sharing and documenting my life on social media as well to show people you know, this is this is what my life is. It's not um, oh, I just go and do adventures. It's like no, no, I'm I'm studying for my masters. I'm working two part time jobs. I'm doing the podcast full time. Like I I do have a lot going on, but this is how I make it happen. Yeah. What a journey and what a load of incredible adventures mm. you fit in. Um, has the outdoors and adventure always been part of your life? I think so. I think I've I've always been sporty. So when I was at school, I was, you know, we'd play rounders, hockey, netball, lacrosse. I was always playing the sports teams. And actually, even at school, I did the Duke of Edinburgh Award. So bronze, silver, gold, you know, go hiking and stuff like that. So 
I think it's always been that at university. No, I think there was more partying, <laughs> but I still did. I still did sport at university. Like I did, I did rowing and lacrosse, but not necessarily like the outdoors. I don't. I don't think I realised that you could like have a living from a life of adventure. Like I just, I just didn't know anybody who did that. It just wasn't on my radar. I didn't know any. I, I didn't know. I didn't have female role models like that growing up. So you know, I was born nineteen eighty. 81 so I'm 38 yeah 38 to be 39 and I just look back and just think I just I just didn't know like that a there were all these amazing trails out there and it was almost all these incredible adventure opportunities and all these amazing things that you could do it just wasn't even on my radar how did it get on your radar that's such a good question I honestly I think it just happened very, very gradually. So I remember when I was working in in banking, I wasn't feeling particularly fulfilled and I was always looking for something else. And um, and I remember like quite a few of my friends were running the London Marathon. I was like, oh yeah, this sounds great fun. You know, what's a marathon again? And how, how far is that? And so eventually, you know, I got into running and did, um, did London Marathon uh, five times. And I think through the running, I suddenly started to discover, you know, hearing about things like, oh, marathon is subs. Oh, you can do ultra marathons. And, and I think it just sort of slowly, slowly started to happen and, and my eyes were opened up more. But even like I'm trying to even reflect back then, there's still, I still didn't know that many women doing these amazing challenges. And that was one of the reasons for, for Tough Girl Challenges and for the Tough Girl podcast, because I remember going into, um, I knew I wanted to motivate and inspire young young women and girls. And I remember going into schools and talking to them about their, their goals and their dreams and their ambitions. And so many of these young girls were telling me their dreams and ambitions. They wanted to be a wag, which is like basically the wife and girlfriend of a footballer. But, you know, this is like, you know, when it's the wags were like a thing. And I was literally just like, which, is, by the way, isn't a problem. If that's your dream, 100% supportive, go for it. But I was just thinking, hold on. Is that because they don't know the other things that they can be and they think that's all their value is basically just on how they on how they look and looking pretty for a selfie and, and everything else? And I remember coming home and I was just flicking through a newspaper. And honestly, I challenge everybody to do this now. Pick up your local newspaper or any paper, go to the back pages, look at the sport. It will be men's sports. There's no, very rarely do they show women, unless it's the Wimbledon or Olympics, then they will have female athletes on there. Otherwise, it's just, it's just about the men. And I thought, well, hold on, this isn't young girls' fault growing up, you know, when they watch, uh, you know, watching sports on TV, when they're reading the newspapers, when they go to the library, when they, you know, they're just not seeing female role models. And I'm a massive believer, if they can see other women doing it, women and girls who look like them, then it'll start to help them think, well, hold on, she's just like me. So if she's like me, and she's doing it, then maybe I can do it. I initially thought, you know, you can sit and complain about everything, but me sitting here complaining about the lack of sponsorship, the lack of media representation is not going to do diddly squat about anything. And so, you know, by starting the podcast, I am helping to make that little change. And yet, you know, initially one interview probably isn't going to make that a difference Four fifty, still not going to make that much of a difference. A hundred, 300, still not much of a difference. And, you know, I am a one woman show doing it, but actually I'm patient. And the ripple effect is powerful. So, you know, a million people have listened to the Tough Girl podcast and, you know, thousands of people have been inspired to, you know, to do a 5K, to go join their local gym, to do an ultra marathon, to do a big adventure, to do a challenge, just do something a little bit different. And then what happens is their friends and family then get encouraged and they start to think, huh, hold on, she's doing it, let me do it. And so it will cause that ripple effect. And that's what I'm that's what I'm wanting to build here is this sort of legacy and this resource. So if somebody says, oh, well, women don't go to the Arctic or women don't row oceans, I'm like, <clears throat> sorry, I've spoken to 10 women who've rowed oceans. I've spoken to 15 women who've been to the poles. Oh, cycle around the world? Yes, I've spoken to women, the youngest woman to do it. I've spoken to the women, women who've, um, I just spoke to them recently, actually, Tandem Wow, Kat and Raz, um, you know, ladies in their 50s who broke the record for cycling around the world, the fastest women to cycle around the world. I've spoken to two of them. Like, they're stories are out there and so when you've got the evidence to say well actually here they are oh women in their 70s don't do exercise 
Sorry. Yes, they do. I've spoken to Rosie Spelsbove. I've spoken to Dr. Betty Holson-Smith, both incredible women in their 70s, smashing it. Women in their 50s don't do it. <laughs> yes, they do. I've spoken to all of these amazing women, runners, cyclists, mountaineers, you know, women who are single parents, women who've had triplets, um, you know, divorced, people who are studying for their exams, you know. So there is a whole section. I'll stop talking now <laughs> and breathe. <laughs> it is amazing and actually it's really interesting because one of the questions I usually ask towards the end is do you see yourself represented in outdoors media whether it's films or books or tv or I think the weird thing is now is that I'm I'm in that bubble space which I've created so my social media is so curated curated now in terms of I get exposure to a lot of it like uh, by the way I that doesn't mean I know all of what's happening because sometimes I'm like oh, I didn't realise that she was doing that. It's like sometimes out of the blue for me as well. But I think change is definitely starting to happen. But also I think there's two elements to that. You've got the, the main the mainstream elements. So you've got like your, you've got your TV, you've got your radio, um, you've got your magazines, newspapers. And then you've almost got the, the one where there aren't any gatekeepers, which is what we have control of. You've got women who've got their social media accounts, their Instagram, they've started their blogs, their podcasts, their YouTube channels. And they're just like, do you know what? If I'm not going to get on TV, I'll start a YouTube channel. If they're not going to publish my book, I'm going to publish an ebook. If they're not going to share my story on um, on a radio show, then I'm going to share it on a podcast. Do you know, what? if I'm not going to see myself in in the outdoor space, then I'm going to create it for me and for for women who look like me. So I think change is is definitely happening, and so I get to see it more and more every day. Is it enough? No, <laughs> but you know, I'm, I want, I want equality. I want 50%. I want, you know, when people open the newspapers, that young girls get to see women doing sports. When they turn the TV, they're as likely to have the netball and the hockey and the football and the rugby as they are for the men to have it as well. Um, I want to talk a little bit about your journey and your journey to get here. How do you think your journey has shaped who you are now? Oh my goodness. <laughs> so much. I think sometimes I look back a little bit with regret. Not I try not I try not to look back with regret, but sometimes I do because I look back at some of the decisions I've made and just think, why did I make that decision? Why did I go into banking and finance? Like I don't even like maths. Like you know, I don't get me wrong, I like money or you know, but like how did I end up working in banking for so long? Like why did you know I started training as an accountant? You know that lasted a year, and it's like. I'm not even a numbers type person. I'm much more of a people person. So I think it has been a big, yeah, it's been an interesting journey. And I think I'm finally on the right path where I feel just much more comfortable, much more, much more happy. Happy. I think there's definitely been moments where I felt very, um, where I've lacked purpose and I've definitely struggled with that. Like when you're in a set career path where everybody knows oh, this is what you're doing and they know the company that you work for and you get a certain amount of status and ego from that, it's almost very easy. But when suddenly you're doing, oh, your podcast, what podcast, what's a podcast? And, oh, how do you do that? Oh, how do you earn money from, you know, it, that can that can really affect your ego a little bit and your self-worth. You've got to try and remove your self-worth from your job that you're doing, which can be hard when you're combining your passions to make a living from it. I think one thing that I've realized as well is, it's not about an end point. Like I, I do have goals and things I want to achieve, but it's about enjoying your life day to day. And so when I look at the journey now, I, I'm just so happy. Like I'm just, I feel so privileged to be doing what I'm doing and having this freedom of choice about, well, hold on my, okay. So my niece and nephew live in Australia. I, if I want to go and spend three months in Australia with them, I can like, that's, you know, that is amazing. Okay. You want to go and, um, hike a big trail you can go and do that you can you know you have these options and it's just it's an incredible life that I've been building and working towards but just enjoying every step and really you know I used to be very very extreme I feel as I'm a lot more balanced now and I'm a lot more patient as well just like as in you know what I am trying to build this legacy and this resource and it's not going to happen overnight. It's not there yet. You know, I want like 10 million, 100 million people to listen to the podcast. I want Tough Girl Challenges to be a, you know, a well-known brand for supporting women adventure and challenges. So there's still loads of work to do. But I think in times of, you know, of like 10 years, 15 years, like 20 years, reflecting back, thinking, 
holy crap, like I've put out a couple of thousand interviews with these amazing women over the ne- over the last couple of decades and that would be amazing. Long-winded answer, I apologise. <laughs> that was amazing. Um, I really like that you kind of started it talking about regret. I think a lot of people don't like talking about regret and it's kind of seen as a bad word. I bet there's probably a lot of people that do feel some sort of regret about some sort of part of their life and that actually that's probably very relatable to a lot of people. Yeah, I think if you could, because you do look back and think, like, if I had started doing what I'm doing, like, where would I be? Like, that's the sort of regret. But it's not, like, I don't want to live in that space, but I'm very aware of it. And I think, I don't know if that's something that happens just as you get older and you start thinking, well, if I started this when I was, you know, 25 and like now I'm 35 doing it, you know, having a good solid 10 years plus um, I'd be in a very different space, but you know the things that I learned from those eight years in in banking, you know, r- return on investments, and <laughs> you know, other, you know, the business side of things. I think that has helped me to be more strategic and measuring the measurable. Oh my god, the business chat is coming. Measure the measurables and all those sorts of things. I think it has helped me to be probably apply more of a try you know a business head to what I'm doing and how I'm doing it and and being consistent and methodical and you know doing the work and getting it done and setting myself my own targets and you know all of that jazz so yeah I'm really interested to hear your answer to this next question (laughs) I'm scared so sometimes I feel in my life like I'm going a little bit against the grain you know like working freelance and prioritizing adventure and working seasonally and all those sorts of things do you ever feel like you're going against the grain not anymore like not anymore but I think that's just because I am I am much more comfortable in in who I am and what I'm doing but also I think now I've got certain certain milestones under my belt so a because podcasting is so much bigger now people people under know what a podcast in you know te- five years ago most people haven't listened to a podcast now majority of people have listened to one or two the fact that I know that I've won awards so that I've been recognized that you know what I'm producing is, is high quality and I've you know I've hit some big numbers which is amazing so I think that's given me a bit status and so that's then made me feel a lot more comfortable but where I did feel about you know going against the grain the hardest thing for me was after I left my my job and then I was having this like time out and trying to figure this, you know, what do I want to do with my life? Where do I want to go? And I knew I wanted like this travel and adventure and this motivational side of things. And I wanted to combine it with, you know, motivating, inspiring other women and girls. And I still remember this moment when I was like chatting with an old friend. And I don't think he even realized that he did it. And I obviously never remind him. But I, I had like these, like, oh, it's cringy now, but like these little business cards made with on the image I've written a book about climbing Kilimanjaro so it was a, on the one side it was a picture of Kilimanjaro and on the other side it was like adventurer motivational speaker with my with my saucy angel hotmail address on and sort of things so and I was like yeah this is what I'm going to be I'm going to be a motivational speaker I'm going to be an adventurer and I just remember them laughing in my face and like it was ah oh, it like it almost extinguished the flame but it wasn't this is the thing it wasn't done maliciously it wasn't it was just a bit of banter like oh you you know you can't do that you know all of that sort of thing and I think that was the hard bit when I felt very lost because when I compared myself you obviously never compare yourself to other people but in my peer group I'm suddenly like I'm an outsider now because I don't work in you know all my friends are like accountants lawyers you know work in the city in London etc and now I'm this podcasting adventurer sort of person and even back then you know I don't think I knew quite knew what I was going to do and how it was going to work and so it can be really really difficult to bring those two together so I definitely I felt as though I was then I was going against the grain and even now I probably still am but I'm much more comfortable in the fact that hey how's that nine to five going (laughs) while you're while you're in the office with your you know you've got your big mortgages you've got very very stressful jobs and um you know for me it's like do you know it's sunny today yeah I'm I'm gonna go outside yeah actually I'll, I'll work on a Sunday like the freedom and flexibility and the happiness but yeah I think I don't know that's just an age thing but I've grown more comfortable now just because I've grown more comfortable in in what I'm doing and I feel more secure in what I'm doing um I think that's made a difference and when you did feel like you were going against the grain how did you overcome that and how did you keep going 
Um, I learned to ignore people. (laughs) So many people will have opinions about what it is you're doing and how you're doing it. And they'll want to offer you advice. And I'm, I'm very, by the way, I am, I am very aware that people do this with love. Like they just want to see you. It's like, you know, my parents are both incredible, amazing and wonderful, but I know they just want to see me like settled and, and happy. And, and I think it's even difficult for them to understand what it is that I actually do. So when, you know, podcasting and social media and YouTube, they don't necessarily really understand it. Whereas they understood my last job, you know, I worked in banking, I worked in London. It was, it was easy. Basically, I learned to say thank you. So when people would offer their opinions, their advice, I would basically, oh, okay, thanks so much. I really appreciate that. And then ignore it. Because that, because I was also very, very fragile at that time. So there's very few people who I would talk to and explain my big dreams and what I wanted to do. Because it's like you've got like this little candle inside, this little uh, flame of a candle inside of you, which is sort of flickering. And it's not bright enough or strong enough yet to, to hack it when people's opinions can sort of blow it out. And so I just had to protect that by not telling certain people um, and just avoiding those conversations or if they were having, you know, offering their opinion on what I'm doing, give me advice and tell me I should apply for jobs here and do this and do that. And blah, 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 blah. then I would just say, you know, oh, thanks so much. Thank you. Ignore it. And just basically, I had to just get really focused on what it is. And, you know, I've got a ridiculous like 200 page business plan. But the business plan is more than just like paperwork. It's it's my mission. It's what I want to do. It's how I want to live my life. It's things that I want to achieve. And so I can always come back to that and think, well, hold on, why am I doing it? What do I want my my life to look like? And so I think that helped to focus me and center me and allow me to to just focus on, on what the next step was that I needed to do. And to be fair, it's really, it's not always easy. You, It can be very, very difficult. Yeah. That's awesome. What an awesome document to have to... Yeah, I'll show it to you later. Yeah, please do. Um, What's one thing that you know about yourself now that you wish you'd known earlier? That I wish I'd known earlier? Mm. The only thing that's coming to mind is patience. Like, I'd wished I'd understood the power of patience earlier. Um, I think initially when I started everything, I I wanted it there and then like I was just so I wanted that instant gratification like I wanted to more people to have listened to the podcast you know I didn't want just a hundred people a month listening I wanted thousands and it was just just wasn't happening quick enough for me and I think the struggle for me was um I'm working so hard and I'm not seeing the results I'm doing everything that I can possibly do and I'm not seeing the results I'm giving blood sweat and tears and I'm not seeing the results um there's what what else can I do. like literally like I, I cannot do anything else to help grow my grow my business grow my listeners grow my you know my patreon grow my patrons um and I think that took me a really long time to just be like hmm you can't control any of that so focus on what you can control and actually just be patient like and just you know look it's going to happen and it's going to take time and I think there was something you know people overestimate what they can achieve in a year but underestimate what they can achieve in a decade so I've actually just started to think even more long term and think well actually hold on what will I will I have achieved you know in another year two years three years four years and I think I wish I'd known that about myself that I could be patient that it's going to happen I've been asking everybody about authenticity Mm. and it's sort of, as I get older, I keep looking back at the younger version of myself and thinking how much more closer to my authentic self I feel now than I did before. Um, What do you think authenticity and your authentic self means? Oh, I think it's just putting everything out there. <laughs> it's being really realistic. Yeah, it's it's just being you. Like, I, and it, it's it's cheesy and it's cliche, and I and it's probably easier to say if you if you tick a lot of like society's boxes, then it's okay being you. But if you're slightly different from society's boxes, then sometimes it isn't that easy to put yourself out there. And I think what I'd say for for me is one of the things that I'm very very aware of. Even a couple of years ago. Um, people I think got confused with what I was posting on social media because it was always well it's okay for you because you're you know you're just going to the gym all the time you're just outside and it was like huh okay this isn't 
this is a, maybe I haven't been portraying the whole side of everything. So I actually had to write a blog post saying, this is how I afford to blog and podcast. Yes, I go and travel and do these amazing adventures, but actually I live at home with my parents. You know, I'm 36 years old, living at home with my parents. You know, I don't have savings for a house deposit. I'm, I don't have a pension, you know, all of that sort of thing. Actually, by the way, I, you know, after I won that award, when I went down to London, when as soon as I came back home, I was in the local coffee shop washing dishes by hand to make minimum wage. And so it's quite, uh, it's quite interesting when you're suddenly like, you want to give that full authentic picture, which is so then I started being really like, look, this is my life. And you know, you look, I'm very lucky, I'm very privileged and everything else. But you don't just go, you don't just quit your job and start a blog and start a podcast. And then overnight, you're suddenly working with brands and and you know have thousands of followers like it takes a lot of time and hard work and rejections and setbacks and you know blood sweat and tears yeah it's I think you sometimes got to share just what is going on like and I don't want my social media reel to be a highlight reel like and I think that's one of the things that I did specifically even with the adventures and challenges that I go on it's not just beautiful sunsets and rainbows and pretty views and beautiful camping spots it's like Look, on these days of adventure, there's going to be shitty days where you've got blisters, you're cold, you're wet, you're tired, you've run out of food, or somebody's just being annoying you, or, you know, whatever it may be. But actually, by showing that side of things, people get to see the full picture of what it is. So I think that's what it means to me, is just being you. That's so interesting. And I think it's so true with Instagram that it's so easy to make it a highlight reel. Yeah. But it's so hard to post the hard moments, like... It takes so much emotional energy to go back and relive that thing that was already horrible to live the first time. I think, well, I I follow this guy called Gary Vaynerchuk and it massively changed for me when he said, because I was straight like, what do I post? I'm trying to create this content. And, and he said, document, don't create. So just document your life. And that for me was the game changer. It's like, I'm in my pajamas today. I've got shitty period pain. I'm not. I'm not feeling up for it. Oh, here's me. Oh, I'm all glamorous today. Yes, I'm having champagne. Oh, yes, this is me drunk, and this is me doing X, Y, and Z. And yeah, like it's. I find I find that quite like liberating. But I I do agree with you. But also, I think you've got to make sure that mentally you're in a good space to to share that, and how often that you are sharing it. You do have a, a choice, and you've just got to make sure that you're really okay with like there's there's like I share a lot of my life but there are still some things that maybe I will share but maybe not to level 10 like it'll be like look this has happened this is something where this is how I'm feeling but I maybe wouldn't share the full extent I think there is a balance to get right and that's a very personal balance as well and also you don't need to share everything like sometimes you just you don't have to it's your choice and that's being authentic as well like you know take time off don't be on social media all the time do you? <laughs> Definitely. What do you think bravery is? Oh, I think bravery is going against the norm, doing something different, doing something that people, other people don't understand and that other people don't relate to or don't understand why you're doing it. And you do it anyway, because you know it's right. Would you describe yourself as brave? Occasionally. <laughs> Sometimes I am, but then sometimes I'm not. I wish I'd been braver. Like uh, I feel as though there, there'd been moments where I could have, I could have been a lot braver. But I think it's also it's like a muscle that you learn. The more you, the more you do it, the the better, the better it, the, the better you get at being braver. Like I think I was brave um, when I was eighteen. I went travelling and. And every time I've said yes, like said being brave to signing up for the Marathon de Sars, being brave to go and do these these other challenges and adventures. I think I could always be braver. I think that's a good way to be, though, really. <laughs> what do you think happiness feels like? Ooh, like this. <laughs> I don't know, just for me, contentment. Just feeling blessed, feeling really content, just waking up every morning. Um just thinking, like, I, I wake up some morning, I'm just like, I feel so lucky. Like, I look at my life and think, do you know what, I am so, so lucky. Like, I've got you know, amazing parents, I've spoken to incredible women, I'm sharing these amazing stories. I, I am, 
living life on my terms like I'm building a life that I want to to live you know I want to be nomadic I want to be able to go traveling I want to spend you know time abroad time with family and I can do that because I can just take my laptop with me Oh, just my life. Like now, even now, like this is amazing. Like you cycle to my house and you're interviewing me, and you know it's it's lovely. Like, like hundreds of kilometers away. Yeah, yeah, but like having you know, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Feels like this. We go a lot easier now. Okay. So do you have any female role models or inspirational women? Who are they and why? Oh, there's so many. Um, at the moment, I think the so I've spoken to over like 300 women, and like I've learned something from every single one. And I think what I'm really liking at the moment is I'm liking when I speak to the older women, because I think, so I'm, you know, I'll be 40 next, so I'm 39 this week, and then I'll be 40 next year. And I think part of me still has this idea, maybe it's just like ingrown, like when you get older, when you get to a certain age, you can't do certain things. And then I speak to, you know, Rosie Swale Pope, 73 years young, one of the most incredible women that I've ever met. Um, she, last year, she was running from New Brighton, um, in England all the way to Kathmandu in Nepal and um, she got to Turkey in December so after me and Kat finished our hike in in Turkey we went to Istanbul and met up with Rosie and Rosie pulls this cart behind her she runs called like Ice Chick and she just lives this life and she's I mean she's just so positive and so vibrant and has this way about her and this energy and I just look at her and think I would love to be like her when I'm her age like just absolutely just an incredible woman just phenomenal and her episode is is amazing to listen to like I don't even speak in the episode Rosie just talks and just tells these wonderful stories about wolves and the cold and running and um, about our husband and her sailing and just living this phenomenal life and I spoke to another lady recently as well 79 years young called Dr Betty Holston Smith and she runs between 60 and 100 miles per week. She sleeps four hours um, a day. She's been studied at John Hopkins for her, um, about her, like her life and her energy. Like she's got a body of like a 30 year old. Like she's just incredible. And I think when I see these women, I think that's what I want to be when I'm, when I'm in that, you know, that age category, like over 60, or even people like my mum, like my mum's like 60, she hates me talking about her age, but 66, 67. And she's at the gym three, four times a week. She went for a run earlier today and she's just fit and active and, you know, moving and just just living these brilliant lives. So for me, it's definitely the the women who are like 50, 60, 70 plus, um, the women who are just saying, you know, age is just a number. Women who are like, oh, do you know what? I'm going to go back and get my master's. I'm going to go back and get my PhD. Or actually, yeah, I'm going to go traveling by myself. Because I think too many people think that they can't do something because of their age. And like, I've, I've struggled. I'm like, oh, you know, even like, was, was I too old to go back to, to university to do my master's? I'm like, oh, you know, should I, shouldn't I? And then you just got to forget it and just think, do you know what? Age is just a number. So for me, it's those older ladies who are just out there just literally grabbing life and just like you know what they are going to squeeze everything out of it and I just think yeah good for you and I I just want to be that fit healthy and strong when I'm their age yeah yeah completely I think there's this idea that you're supposed to make the most of it whilst you're young and it's complete rubbish like if you just make the most of it whilst you're young then what do you do for the rest of your life like... you just you might have to adapt a few things or you know ch- change it around but you can still get out there and do awesome stuff so yeah i've got my last question okay. and it is what's one piece of advice that you'd give to your younger self oh my younger self how young are we talking any any age um oh I think I do. <laughs> Literally like, oh, Sarah, sit down. We have a good conversation. But I, I think my one piece of advice would, it's all going to be okay. Like, just, I think I was very, uh, I don't want to say stressed, but I think I was just very worried. Like, I wanted, I envisioned, like, this perfect life and everything had to be perfect. Um, and I just want to say, just let it all go. Just relax. Have fun. Be yourself. Like, you're you're awesome. <laughs> um, yeah, basically, just not to try not to stress, try not to worry. Like, it's just like life is going to happen. It's all going to work out. Everything's going to be fine. Every decision you make will be the right decision. Just, you know, follow your heart, follow your passions, do what you want to do. And you're awesome. Love you. <laughs> Thank you so 
much. Is there anything that you thought I would ask you that I haven't? No. Or is there anything that you would like to talk about that you haven't had enough? Well, I'm sure we, I think we've talked about enough. <laughs> we've talked a lot about me. Um, no, I would just like to say, you know, please, if you haven't listened to already, please do go to take a listen to the Tough Girl podcast. It's on all the major platforms. Um, and I think there will be a story there that will resonate with you. Um, and just yeah take a listen thank you so much that was it (laughs) no stop talking stop talking (laughs) I absolutely loved chatting to Sarah and really getting a behind the scenes view of where she started I think it's so easy to look at how many downloads her podcast has all the things she's doing all the trips she's done and to completely forget that at one point in her life she was on day one too and it's so lovely to hear her stories and to hear her talking so passionately about those memories and the journey I really hope you enjoyed it as much as I did next week I'll be talking to Viv We have an amazing conversation. I'm already smiling at the thought of it. Talking about getting into climbing when she didn't really think that climbing was her thing. Find out all about it next week. If you are loving the podcast, there are so many things you can do to support me. Please, please recommend it to someone who you think will like it too. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please give us a rating and a review. It really helps others to find it. And you can also come and join us on Instagram, where I do an Instagram Live every Friday at 6pm. I'd really love to see you there. You can also support us on Patreon, where you'll get extra content and behind-the-scenes info. And a whole lot of love from me. Until next time... Keep on being extraordinary.